Welcome to the Ordinary Extraordinary Cemetery, where every death had a life and every life had a story. My name is Jenny Johnson. I'm Diane Hartshorn. We'd like to thank you for joining us as we continue our exploration of pioneer cemeteries. Today, we'll be going back to Central City, Colorado, only not as far back in time as we had traveled in the last episode. We will begin by a visit to Bald Mountain Cemetery, which is located off a dirt road partway between Central City and Nevadaville. This cemetery was founded in 1865 and was mainly used by the residents of Nevadaville. It is surrounded by a forest of evergreen trees, and when you enter, you hear nothing but the breeze blowing through the trees and the chirps of birds and squirrels. There are no statues in the cemetery, but there are many stately monuments. Many of the names on these monuments are Cornish, as most of Nevada Hills' original residents came from Cornwall, England. There's a section down the hill and to your right from the main gate full of children's graves. There are also many family plots surrounded by wrought iron fencing. To the left of the main gate, you will find modern headstones, the most recent dated 2019. Many of the headstones depict carvings that were popular in the Victorian era. You will find hands with the finger pointing upward, clasped hands, carved floral wreaths, lilies, and often on the children's graves, lambs. Because this was a community of miners, you will also find many fraternal symbols, including the Freemasons, the Knights of Pythias, the Independent Order of Oddfellows, and many others. There are also many touching and loving epitaphs, such as, in memory of Frank Hawking, died November 4th, 1888, aged 50 years, seven months. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Our little darling, Lucretia, daughter of William and Kate Richards, died December 6, 1885, aged three years, one month, and two days. Little Lucy, o'er the river here below, oh, we miss you as you journey to and fro, but we hope in heaven to meet you with the seraph and to greet you, clad in garments, Lucy Darling, pure and spotless as the snow. And one of my very favorites is on the diamond-shaped headstone of Tyler Hall. It reads, Tyler Hall, January 26th, 1947 to May 27th, 1990. Tyler mostly did the things he liked to do, and he did them well. Often, for the benefit of others, he did things he didn't like to do but he did them well. Whatever he's doing now, whether he likes it or not, he's doing it well. These words were written by Pete E. Redmond, and it is Mr. Redmond's story and the story of a mining community and its survival that we will be sharing with you today. Peter E. Redmond was born in 1928 in Leadville, Colorado. He was 13 years old when he began working in the gold mines. By the time Peter began mining, the gold boom was long over, and many of the mining communities had a colorful heyday were no longer in existence. However, Central City, Blackhawk, and Nevadaville were communities that were determined to survive. In episode two of this podcast, The Champions and Central City, Colorado, we learned that Central City was the jewel of the state. It was where gold was discovered and for a few decades was one of the most opulent places west of the Mississippi. However, as gold, silver, uranium, and other precious metals were discovered in other parts of the Rocky Mountains, the towns of Gilpin County began to fade. Some communities disappeared altogether, and the people living in them moved on to bigger and better prospects. 
Many even took their houses with them. By the time Pete Redmond began working in the mines, it was no longer the same sort of lifeline it had been for the two or three generations before him. In 1917, mining came to a grinding halt as men were needed to fight in World War I. After the war, some men returned to their mining communities to take up work once again. But it was nowhere near the numbers these communities saw in the 1860s and 1870s. In 1919, prohibition caused many places that depended on the sale of alcohol to close down. This included saloons, and brothels in around Central City. For a time in the 1920s, bootleggers tried to use some of the abandoned mine shafts as a place to make and store their moonshine. However, the sheriff at the time began burning those places down in order to prevent such illegal activity. Pete Redmond was very much aware that mining was a difficult, dangerous, and not necessarily profitable job. He was also extremely observant and took to his pen writing poetry about his and others' experiences in the mines. Some of his poems even brought back folklore that came to America with miners from England. Cornish miners believed in little beings called Tommyknockers. These were goblin-like creatures that lived deep in the mines and caused bad things to happen to miners when they worked underground. There were also sprites who worked alongside the Tommyknockers that were called kobolds. Here is his poem, simply titled, Tommyknockers. When a miner journeys downward where no other man can see, the Tommyknockers waken and kobolds dance with glee. For maybe one that goes below will not come up again, and they can drag him deeper to the blackness of their den. In a shaft below the collar where he drops from sight of man, a miner never knows just what the Tommyknockers plan. They loosen tunnel timber and slabs and airless rays, and double-time the primers to end a miner's days. Some miners ride the bucket, and others ride the bale, and each one hoping mutely that the cable doesn't fail. The hoistman lowers slowly, and miners pass from view. The Tommy knockers waken, and the devil gets his due. That's a little spooky and ominous. I suppose it's perfect for this time of year, though. <laughs> Pete also had a terrific sense of humor. He was born at a time when not everyone had indoor plumbing, especially in rural communities. The following poem demonstrates that humor. That little old house. I remember the days, that little old house with the crescent-shaped hole in the door. It served as a study and a library, too. There was plenty to read on the floor. There were newspapers, magazines, and catalogs, too. And Grandpa would sit there for hours. Start with the tractors and come his way back to the seeds and the colorful flowers. One day, my grandpa ran out to the barn. But that little house, madly, he dashed. But my father was running in from the field. Halfway there, the two of them clashed. Well, they argued a while and finally drew straws, for the house would only hold one. So my father would dance round that little old house and wait till grandpa was done. He danced a Roomba and a twist or two, for Gramps was quite a reader. And Father decided right then and there, tomorrow he'd build a two-seater. That poem sure makes me grateful for modern indoor plumbing and the fact that most houses today now have more than one toilet available. <laughs> On November 11th, 1955, the following announcement appeared in the weekly register call. 
Mr. Peter E. Redmond and Anna May Gould were united in marriage Tuesday afternoon by Angelo Di Benedetto, Justice of the Peace. Mrs. Earl Person and Maddie Mosh were attendants as witnesses. The groom is employed at the Central City Cafe and has been here for the past year. The bride was born in Central City and has spent her life here. The couple expect to remain here for the present and have started housekeeping in the house opposite the old gallows frame of the Alert Fire Department. Their many friends here extend congratulations. At the end of the 1930s, mining was only a very small part of Wilkins County economy. Instead, communities like Central City became dependent on tourism. Central City itself fared better than other mining communities because it was home to the Central City Opera House. The Opera House had opened a great fanfare in 1878 and had many years of successful performances. However, after a time, it began to fall into disrepair. In 1932, a group of local women decided it was time to bring the Opera House back from the dead, so to speak. They raised funds to have it refurbished and make it the glorious place of show business it had once been. The Central City Opera House Association paid for the building's restoration by selling naming rights for the chairs inside. For $100, people could have the name of a Colorado pioneer engraved on one of the seat backs. Numerous people took advantage of the opportunity, and many of the names on the chairs are those of once prominent Gilpin County residents. The sale raised over $15,000 for fund repairs, which included a new roof and restoration of the original plaster ceiling. On July 16, 1932, a grand reopening was held. Hundreds of people came from all over Colorado to see silent movie actress Lillian Gish star in the play Camille. Central City Opera House Association also took an interest in helping to restore the hotel next door called the Teller House to its former glory. With all these restorations, Central City began to become a place where tourists flocked in order to remember days gone by. Central City, as well as many parts of Hilton County, also became a favorite place for Hollywood to come and film movies. It was the perfect setting for Westerns. I'm sure if Pete Redman were still with us, he may remember when movies such as The Duchess and the Dirtwater Fox, starring Goldie Hawn and George Siegel, and Centennial, starring Raymond Burr and Barbara Carrara, were filmed on location. Pete became a pillar of the Central City community. He became a Justice of the Peace and served two terms as the Gilpin County Sheriff. He loved his community. By all accounts, he was a jovial, happy man who worked hard and helped his neighbor. With his poetry, he was able to paint a picture of what life had been like for Central City in the past and what it could be like in the future. Sometime in the late 60s or early 70s, Pete was persuaded by many residents of Central City to publish his poems in a small book called Tombstones and Gold and Miseries Untold. At the beginning of the book, he wrote, quote, I published this booklet because so many people have said, do it, do it, do it. So I did it. Some have said that a few illustrations would be nice, but I don't believe feelings can be illustrated, and that is the dominating factor here. One of his poems is called Central City. Keith's inspiration for his poems in his own words, I quote, I have looked at many, many crumbled foundations scattered over these hills, and can visualize how Central City must have looked in the days of the first big boom. There must have been more shacks and shanties here than the present natives can imagine. I often picture myself here in those days and imagine myself one of the fortunates 
found the dream of a big strike come true. I imagine myself as one of the 60,000 in the following poem. In 59, a Georgia man peered close at what he'd panned. He knew his search was over and the gold was close at hand. His cry he could not stifle and Eureka split the air. 60,000 heard it and 60 soon were there. Liars and lovers anonymous, animalism and lust, all rode the miners' wagons and searched for yellow dust. They came to Central City, the rich and poor alike. They came to Central City, each one to make his strike. There came those 49ers, whose fever blessed anew, and Arizona's desert rats, to name you just a few. And those who heed it greedily, uprooted from the east, and came to feed their fever on nature's golden feast. From privates to the colonel, deserted from the ranks, and came up Clear Creek Canyon to dig along its banks. The smart ones took the high ground to find the mother load. At every step, a grave was dug to mark painful road. They founded Central City and soon was given birth, the name whichever lingers, the richest mile on earth. The shanties rose by thousands and they kept coming in. While men of faith brought churches, the fever brought them sin. On Saturday, the miners' boots danced on earthen floors in the pageantry of payday behind those swinging doors. Their gold was measured carelessly on scales behind the bar, and the barman took it from them to ride upon a star. Shots and shouts pierced darkened night in drunken revelry as city slickers, country boys, and men fresh off the sea did freely give up secrets they never would have sold each denied the other's right to booze and girls and gold. The way it's always seemed to go, the loner fared the worse. He mostly spent his gold at night on Adam's ancient curse. Entangled in embraces of Trudy, Ann, and Jill in the second-story parlor house on the house on Baldy Hill. They battled with each other from dark to early dawn. And when they went to work their claims, the fight was really on. They fought through iron granite for some unknown stronghold, where nature hid in caverns great, her solid walls of gold. Then section hands brought railroads, and some sailed o'er the sea. Aging men bought minute youth and style in gay Paris. Great changes came to many who lived a life of dread, for those once known as girlies were ladies now instead. And when the strike was over and all the gold was gone, they rode their horses, pulled their mules, and drove their wagons on. And heading for the Yukon, their search began anew. But just like Central City, the fortunes came to few. While tourism helped to boost Central City and its economy in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, by the mid-1980s, it was clear that age was catching up to the communities in Gilpin County. There was very little money to repair the buildings, the roads, and the sewer systems. However, once again, residents of Central City and Gilpin County proved just how tough and determined they were. They began to work out a plan to bring legalized gambling to Central City, Blackhawk, and further south, the town of Cripple Creek. On November 6, 1990, Colorado voters overwhelmingly passed Amendment 4 to the state constitution, and the former mining communities boomed once again, only this time finding their gold in the pockets of gamblers. Today, people flock to both Central City and Blackhawk in hopes of winning it big at the slot machines or card tables. But there were many who still go to enjoy the history. 
They walked the streets of Central City, admiring the buildings still standing from the 1800s. They hiked up to the cemeteries to wander along the graves, reading the epitaphs and imagining life as it was. In the surrounding mountains, there's camping and hiking and other outdoor activities to enjoy. It is still a place of culture as the Central City Opera House hosts festivals during the summer and there is an art gallery across the street. It is a community that was built on the backs of people like Q Champion and written into memory, Peter Redman. It is a very special place. Peter E. Redman passed away in 1996. His obituary, written by Lou Cady, a writer for the paper The Little Kingdom Come, and a friend of Pete. Little known fact, many newspapers have no poetry policy. It's a good idea because most readers won't read the stuff. When this paper started up back in 1970, we named Peter Redmond as our poet laureate and printed his poems, mostly about mining. And people up in this neck of the rocks loved it. And they loved Pete. Pete was one of the last miners around these parts, had begun at the age of 13. So his poems rang true with the sounds of picks and shovels and wiggle tails and smelled of sweat and powder and dank. Born in Leadville, he knew Baby Doe. As a kid, he delivered groceries from Zait's Mercantile to her. Groceries that Zait's put on the cuff and had no illusions about ever collecting for. In return, she gave him sandwiches made of graham crackers with powdered sugar frosting. He put it like this. Zait's Mercantile was keeping Baby Doe alive, and Baby Doe was keeping me alive. Twice Pete served as sheriff of Gilpin County. To commemorate his election, a friend wrote a poem in faux Redmond style, which began like this. The people of the county knew just how it should be banned, so they voted in a feller by the name of Pete Redmond. Now Pete doesn't give a hoot if you're Texas Ute or Oki. If you even think of being bad, you'll wind up in the pokey. For the past few years, Pete was the bartender and storyteller of the Elks Lodge. He was also a log carver and maker of whirly gigs. He wrote the words on Tyler's grave marker. Perhaps they'll include it in the new expanded reissue of Pete's book of poetry, Tombstones in Gold and Miseries Untold. He sold copies of the original book, 28 pager, for a buck per. A few years ago, an occasional user of Snooze tried to track down Pete to get a dip off of him. A call to Anna May revealed that Pete had, in fact, gone down to the arm and leg in Blackhawk to buy a can of the stuff. So the would-be moocher went to the intersection of Maine and Eureka and flagged down Redmond in his car on his way home. Pete rolled down the window. Just want a dip, Pete. Got a fresh can right here. He slid it open. Want the whole thing? What would you do if I said yes? Go back down and get another. Pete was 67 when he died in his home in Central the day after he had come home from a seven-week hospital stay. Pete was a special guy. As Jack Kittle observed, he was a man who could not be exaggerated. Pete is buried in Bald Mountain Cemetery. His grave is marked by a small metal marker that simply reads, Peter E. Redmond, 1928 to 1996. The ground surrounding his marker is covered in small pebbles, pine needles, and wildflowers. Other headstones around him belong to others he may have called friends. Thank you once again for joining us. It's always amazing how a little walk through a cemetery leads to such fascinating stories. We would once again like to thank the Gilpin County Historical Society and the Central City Visitors Center for their help in researching 
this podcast. You can learn more about visiting Central City and the rest of Gilpin County at their website, gilpinhistory.org and centralcity.colorado.gov. The following books were also used to research this episode and can be purchased through the Gilpin County Historical Society and the Central City Visitors Center. Tombstone and Gold and Miseries Untold by P.E. Redmond. Images of America, Blackhawk and Central City by David Forsyth. We hope you will join us again next Thursday for another episode of The Ordinary Extraordinary Cemetery. As next Thursday is right before Halloween, we thought it might be fun to take a journey from coast to coast as we explore some ghostly stories of cemeteries throughout the United States. Also look for us on Instagram and Facebook at Ordinary Extraordinary Cemetery. All one word, no punctuation. Or contact us by email at ordinaryextraordinarycemetery at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we would love if you would share it with your friends on social media. You can find this podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, and many other places where podcasts can be downloaded. Thank you. Until we meet again. Hi, listeners. I have added this extra little bit because I am overwhelmed with gratitude for the folks of Gilpin County. Yesterday, I shared a snippet of one of Mr. Redmond's poems on various social media groups, including some Gilpin County groups, and I loved all the memories people shared of him. I knew when writing this episode, I was featuring someone very special, but to read about how kind and loving he was, how he made promises and kept them, how he looked out for others, how he truly made his part of the world a better place, brought joy to my heart and made me a little teary. One of the main reasons I started this podcast is to share the stories of extraordinary everyday people so they are not forgotten. Pete Redman quite obviously left a legacy of love and respect when he left this life, and I am grateful to be able to share that with so many others. Cemeteries are ordinary because we have them everywhere. They become extraordinary because people like Pete Redman are laid to rest in them. I also want to say that both Diane and I are sending love to all those who live in and around Gilpin County. For those listeners who live outside Colorado, you may not know that our mountains have been on fire most of the summer. Those fires are creeping closer and closer to the populated areas. We hope the folks are staying strong and safe, and we pray that snow or rain will come to help and put out those flames soon.